Hey there, restaurant pros. It's Dave Scott Peters, and welcome to episode 35 of the Restaurant Prosperity Formula. I've been coaching restaurant owners since 2003, and the Restaurant Prosperity Formula is based on what the most successful restaurant owners I've worked with do on a daily basis to achieve their success. The basic premise of the formula centers around achieving prosperity, freedom from your restaurant, and the financial freedom you deserve. To achieve prosperity, you have to follow a very specific formula made up of leadership, systems, training, accountability, and taking action. Today's topic centers around the labor crisis we're suffering from in the restaurant and hospitality industry. Our guest today is Ryan James. He and his wife, Neely, own Mother's Cantina in Ocean City, Maryland, where they have two full-service Tex-Mex restaurant locations, a commissary kitchen, a Shopify store, and sell their tortillas on Amazon. Both Ryan and Neely are family-trained chefs. Ryan comes from a Sicilian family of immigrants and learned to cook with his grandmother, and Neely's family comes from Union City, Tennessee, where her ancestry and down-home southern recipes date back to her family's roots in the early 1600s. The United States of America and most of the world are experiencing a major labor shortage, making restaurant owners operate in fear of how we can simply staff our restaurants. Well, the Jameses are no strangers to this because they live it every year. Ocean City, Maryland has a winter population of about 8,000 people, where in the summer, they have about 400,000. You can only imagine how hard it is to staff for these wild fluctuations in business. Listen in on our conversation, where Ryan shares the ins and outs of recruiting and utilizing J-1 workers to make it through the summer months and how you can use them in your restaurant today, almost year-round. I want to welcome Ryan James to the show today, but first... A word from our sponsor. This episode is being brought to you by Repeat Returns. If you're a restaurant owner of a medium to high volume independent restaurant, multi-unit or franchise operator, and you're looking for a proven and realistic solution to attract, grow and retain customers, then you need to visit Repeat Returns. Repeat Returns is a modern marketing platform created by a restaurant owner for restaurant owners. It studies each customer's habits and patterns, predicts the most profitable outcome for your restaurant every single day, and deploys the marketing to make that happen. You'll never lift a finger. To see if Repeat Returns is right for you, visit repeatreturns.com forward slash DSP. Ryan, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So just before we get started, you know, this is going to be on YouTube, but it is a podcast. So people cannot see if they're listening that you're in this baby blue snowman suit. I'm just, that just exemplifies how excited you are for the holidays. No, I'm super stoked for the holidays. You know, I don't, it only get one month of wear out of the suit. So I have to make it count. Right. And, well, and got to uh, get that polyester wear to work, man. <laughs> it, it It's not one to uh, be on the fry station with. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, the J1s are with what we're talking about today, and they're like a Christmas present to me every June. So I figured the Christmas suit was fitting. Fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit first about your background. You and your wife, Neely, have, you know, been in the restaurant business a long time. Tell, talk, tell people where you are, names of your restaurants, a little bit background. Sure. We're in Ocean City, Maryland, which is a, uh, it's a, it's an overdeveloped uh, barrier island kind of sticking out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you know, we're in between New York and Virginia Beach. We're about five hours south of New York, about three hours north of Virginia Beach in the Outer Banks. Uh, it's a very seasonal economy down here. Uh, you know, our wintertime population is about 8,000 people. Our summertime is about 400,000 people. So you wow. can imagine the uptick in business in the summer months. 
you know, we have two locations. We, uh, they're very close to each other. And because of the amount of business we get in the season, uh, we, can, we can afford to have two places close to each other. And uh, we have a commissary that we supply both kitchens from. And uh, it's great, you know, it's a lot of work in the summer and it's a lot of chill time and working on reorganization and, you know, after action reports and things like that in the winter so we can uh, hit the summer and make it as profitable as possible. Tell uh, people the names of your re- restaurant and, and a little what, what you serve. Uh, so we're Tex-Mex and the names of our restaurants are Mother's Cantina. We have one on 28th Street in Ocean City, Maryland and one on 78th Street in Ocean City, Maryland. And we also have our Shopify store, and we also have our tortillas for sale on Amazon. Fantastic. A lot of business, a lot of things to do, and you're full service, correct? Yes, sir. Full service. Great. I just want to get people to get kind of a picture. What's your background? What's Neely's background when it comes to the restaurant business? Were you born into this? Has this been something you've done forever? Talk a little bit about your backgrounds. Well, my wife and I were were both family trained chefs. Uh, you know, for example, my family, I come from a Sicilian family of in- immigrants and, you know, we never we never bought bread. Uh, we had a bread drawer at my grandmother's house that always had fresh baked Italian bread in it. Awesome. Uh, we would grow and can tomatoes all summer so we could make fresh tomato sauce all winter. Uh, and Neely comes from a similar background, but her family is uh, from Union City, Tennessee. Been in the Americas since the 1600s. You don't get more American than Neely. I mean, it's many generations back. So same same thing, except her her growing up was bread and butter pickles and angel biscuits and and really good Southern food. So uh, I mean, she has a, a cornbread recipe that will it will make you weak in the knees. It's so good. So you know, we we kind of learned a lot of techniques from our family, uh, and we applied them to the restaurant business when 12 years ago. Uh, we decided that we were going to leave the big city, move to the beach to raise our children, uh, and the opportunity to buy the restaurant from some friends of mine came up, so we took it. And uh, here we are, twelve years later, and uh, we would we wouldn't have done it any other way. That's fantastic. I. So the reason why I wanted to bring you on is in our group coaching program, Restaurant Transformation Intensive. You have been a resource for many of our members because we're all suffering right now, based on a labor shortage. And the labor shortage, as we've talked about, is is worse than the pandemic restrictions for most restaurants. When you have all this business coming in and not enough employees, when you've got customers who have high expectations or unreasonable expectations or be berating and being mean to our frontline staff, and it's getting more of a challenge every single day to be in the hospitality industry. But you live this every year in the sense that this is not brand new because when you talked about your residents going from 8,000 to 400,000 people, you experience this on a yearly basis. Would that be a reasonable thing to say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we we can't even keep both locations open year round. Our, our bigger location on 78th Street is seasonal. And it's not because of any restrictions. It's because we just don't have enough people in town. Uh, but, you know, they're beating down the doors in the summertime. So it, so it all evens out. It's uh it's a hurry up and then wait game, right? So um, with that has taught us how to scale up and scale down very quickly. And that's why it's so important that we have that J1 labor on a seasonal basis that comes in because of that. But we're used to it. Yeah, I mean, it's COVID every winter around here, whether uh, whether we have government restrictions or not, because we have to figure out how to not lose money and not go bankrupt in the wintertime. And 
you know, cash flow management is really important. So talk to me a little bit about what a J1 is so people understand. And when you discovered that a J1 was a solution for a labor shortage. So what a J1 is, is a J1 is a visa. That is the name of a visa. It's often um, attributed to the person who attains that visa, but it is actually a visa uh, issued by our state department. And it is for a seasonal work and travel student. Uh, the requirement is that they must be in college or some form of higher education in their country. And then they are granted a 90 day, about 90 days, uh, I more or less, you'd have to talk to the companies to get more specifics, uh, to come over here to work and experience American culture. Uh, so that's what the visa is. Um, there's many, that, I'll give you some quick stats. There's about half a million J1 students that come to the United States every year. No kidding. 86% uh, of them are under 30 and 53% of them are female. So we get a lot of uh, au pairs that come over for the season. Uh, we get a lot of restaurant workers that come over for the season. Um, and it's a great program because it, it fits with us and our seasonality like round peg, round hole. Uh, and we couldn't be happier for the program. Uh, it's been in Ocean City in my market way before I was ever here. Uh, you know, the J1s have been coming for 30 years to Ocean City. So when I got into the restaurant business, everybody, all the other restaurant owners and everybody in the community was saying, oh, don't worry, you're going to have some summer help coming. Call these people at the visa companies and they will get you seasonal labor. Uh, additionally, a lot of the J1s uh, students, they want to work so much because they're so highly motivated, which we can get into a little later, that they often ask for second jobs. So we'll have them come around and, and ask for a job and say, hey, can I have a job? Are you hiring? So they just walk in and a lot of them, we've, we've actually been lucky enough to hire on the spot uh, in the summertime because they can only get 40 hours a week at the breakfast place they're working. So they wanna come in and work nights at, at my place and make tacos. So you talked about the companies. So there are companies that actually recruit, kind of set things up. What is a J1 company? What are some of the big ones that, 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 that you've worked with or know about? So the, the big ones that we use and the big ones in the, in the uh, industry are InterExchange, United Work and Travel. There's also, um, there's a couple other ones that are out there. Um, there's an Irish J1 uh, program that works primarily with Irish students. Um, and, uh, and they're great. They, they work very well because what they do is they cut the red tape, especially for the student, the J1 student. Uh, you know, when you were in college and you were 23, 24 years old, you know, how good were you at navigating through red tape? Not, not very good, right? So right. They, they do all that for you. Um, they do that for the student. Uh, and they basically, they, they make the handshake happen between the J1 student and the employer. And they also insulate the student a little bit, find them housing, make sure that they're not being taken advantage of at work making sure that their employer is reputable, reputable, has a business license, has workers' compensation insurance. You know, they're, they're checking the boxes that need to be checked. And that, that's, that's valuable as an employer and as the J-1 participant as well. They do a great job. Uh, and you can find them all online very easily with a Google search. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here and say that it, the benefit of bringing them in, whatever the cost is, the far outweighs, meaning the benefit far outweighs whatever fees there are to bring these people in. How do the J1s make money? And not the J1 employee, but the J1 companies, how do they make their money? So they, the, actually, the, the students pay them. 
So most of the time, it's free for the employer. So I don't have to pay any money to get J-1 seasonal labor. Uh, the students pay. They pay about, uh, I'm not sure exactly how much it is. It varies greatly from company to company, but they pay a fee and they basically prepay it or pay it installments. And uh, it's it's basically, they come over here and the first portion of our wages go to the J-1 company. But because of where they're coming from, our money goes so far in their country that it, the the financial cost that it, um, it they incur to come over here, the benefits far outweigh it. That's fantastic. Now, let me ask you a question. We sit there and say, they're going to come over here. What are the timeframes? Because I know for a fact, people like you, uh, other members have had a nags head and in, in, in Georgia on the shore. Like these are places that have seen a lot of J1s. I've got members that I've worked with in Canada that that's a big thing because they have a labor shortage and have had it forever. But we're coming into the time we're talking to each other. We're coming into the winter, right? Because you're wearing that the, the snowman uh, 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 suit. That's not a summertime thing. So a lot of people may be hearing, oh, well, they, they come in the summers. Can I get somebody in a different season or is it only summertime? It really works around the country's college schedule. So for example, if you're getting Bulgarian students, they come from a certain time to a certain time. They're usually later. They usually arrive in July and then they leave in November because in Bulgaria, college starts at the end of November. Oh, no um, you know, the, uh, you know, the Dominicans, they come a little earlier. They get here at the beginning of June and they leave the beginning of September. Uh, the Irish are even earlier. They sometimes get here in mid-May and then leave at mid-August because they start school the same time the Americans start school, right after Labor Day. First week of September, they're hitting the books. So um, you have to look at, you'd have to talk to the companies and find out what countries J-1 students can come over at what time of year. You know, I haven't really delved into the wintertime needs because we're so seasonal personally. Right. So our, our bread and butter is people that get here the beginning of June and leave the beginning of, of September. Well, that still leaves a lot of months covered. If we go from May to, to what I think you said, October, November, that's a lot of the year. And, and so often, you know, many of us are, even if we're not very seasonal winter months, if you're in a very cold temperature, your sales may drop anyway, and that's not the time you definitely need them. Uh, so that, that creates a lot of flexibility, but what motivates these kids to come over? And I call them kids cause I'm old, right? If you're 20 something, you're not, you're an adult, I'm but they're kids. So, I get it. so, so what motivates them? Why, why do they want to come over? Well, I mean, they're, they're highly motivated and that's, it's a huge asset of the program is how motivated that these uh, J1 participants are. Uh, they're college students, so they're pursuing higher education right away. So they, uh, that, that's not free and you know, they, they have to make a lot of income countries. So they have to support themselves. So they come over here, they've had to pay for their way to get over here. They've had to pay for their sponsorship. They have to pay for their room and board while they're here. Uh, they have to save for their college tuition. And oh, by the way, they probably have to send some money home to their parents uh, in Nepal that, uh, that, that need money to subsidize their living expenses, right? To help pay the, the rent on the house that they, their parents live in in Kathmandu or something like that, right? So they come over here ready to work and ready to make money. And they're motivated by necessity, not by, you know, not by luxury. Um, so you get a different caliber of worker 
sometimes with that. They come over here, they're ready to work. Uh, it's funny because we'll say, oh, what, you know, what are you studying back in Nepal, you know, at the university? Oh, I'm a biomedical engineer. You're like, great. So today we're going to teach you how to make tacos, probably a little bit be, uh, below your scope. So you should get it pretty quickly. So, so if they're coming over and, and they're earning the wage that's here, do you have to pay more for them? Do you have a, a special sliding scale? If I'm in a tip credit state, like, and you're a server, are you still a server and making the 213 or adjusted wage plus tips? Or is there a restriction, a minimum that you have to pay them? No, by law, they get the same labor laws, wages, hours, benefits that an, a worker from America would. So in in the in the law, in the eyes of basically labor laws, they are the same as, as an American worker. They get overtime at 40 hours. Um, you know, the only thing we don't have to do is if you if health insurance is mandatory or 401k, since they are seasonal, you do not have to offer that to them. Uh, but yeah, but other than that, they're the same. Let me explore one thing because all companies are not created equal. I know I've had some members who have used J1s and the company they used, the employer had to provide housing, literally provide housing. And it was okay because they were Airbnb kind of people and they had a bunch of apartments and they, you know, put people in there. But that's not always the case, right? Talk a little bit about housing. Do I have to? Do I, do I just have to give them a landlord to talk to? What are the restrictions regarding living space? Uh, that's market specific to my understanding. So I am in a market that is in a housing shortage, right? Um, COVID caused a lot of people to leave the big cities and come and enjoy beach life. So all the seasonal rentals are now occupied year round in my, uh, in my little barrier island town here. So it makes it difficult to find housing for seasonal workers. So what the companies have done is now they are saying, if you would like placement of students, you need to line up housing. Um, I know that some of the more proactive companies like United Work and Travel have gone out and bought housing, and now they are supplying housing based on their own housing. So it's good because they're, they're also getting the revenue from the rent as well. Um, I have gone out and, and acquired some housing specifically for, for J1s as well. Uh, but, you know, not everybody has those means to do that. But um, at the same time, your market might not need it. Uh, so so you're not paying for for their rent. They're actually renting from you. You're paying them and they're paying you to live in that facility, that house, right? Correct. Yep. So, so there's not a lot of downside. When we start to look at this, I'm going to get the age group uh, that's motivated, that fits my business, wants to do fills times where I can't find employees, there's got to be some cons. Like there's got to be a, what, what's, what's the catch here? This sounds too good to be true. What, what should I as a restaurant operator be thinking about is what are some of the downsides or things you really got to think about before you go out and get a J1 worker? Well, yeah, I mean, there is some cons. I mean, you know, the, the genie comes out of the, the lamp and gives you your three wishes and then you grant, you get them granted and poof, they're gone. So you know, come the fall when you still might be busy on weekends or you still might have some some seasonal bumps. You know, it's a nice weekend. So, you know, we're packed in the boardwalks packed. So our 28th Street location, which is right next to the boardwalk is packed, but all our J1s are gone and we're back on a skeleton crew. So, you know, that that's that's a bit of a con, but, um, you know, if you have good systems in place, you know, your, your, your process 
restaurant intensive teaches a lot of systems. If you have these systems in place, you have 90 days to prepare for that. So you can, you can, you can, uh, you can get ahead of the game and uh, it's great. So, uh, you know, another con is that you, they're, they're motivated by money, right? They want to come over here. They want to make as much money as they can. And they, when they want to go back to their, to their country, go to college and not work and be able to support their family. So they could tend to linger around on the clock a little bit. So you're going to need to coach your managers, um, you know, use your checklists, make sure that uh, it has on there, make sure check for overtime every day on your manager's checklist to make sure that they are, they're not sucking up that clock because they can hoover that money, that summertime profit right out of your bank account if you're not careful. But if you've got uh, the right you know, systems in place, you're doing that with your regular employees anyway. It's not like it's, absolutely. oh, my special J1s are these these rat yeah. bastards who are milking the clock. That sounds like every kitchen in the world if you're not managing it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, you know, but uh, a wise man once said, if you create a system and you don't measure it, then uh, that system can go away. And I think he also said that which we measure improves, right? So you have to keep measuring that system and watching that clock and holding your managers accountable to make sure that that they are not eating up the clock. Um, you know, so that that could be, that's one drawback. You know, another drawback is, is you're in a constant state of training, right? You're getting, uh, you, you're getting this brand new, shiny, really excited to work employee every spring, right? Or every beginning of summer. And they don't know anything. Again, they're probably a biomedical engineer or they're probably pre-med. So they have not worked in a restaurant before, no experience whatsoever. So you need to have systems in place that make it palatable for them to learn the job. You know, for example, have your station set up behind your cooking line and make the taco guy the taco guy, make the middle guy the, the middle guy, make the grill guy the grill guy, and teach them those stations so that there is a quick learning curve. You know, I'm, I'm really, because of what you taught me, uh, there's no job in our restaurant that's not a manager job that we can teach somebody that takes more than three days. So, you know, if we lose somebody, we're only down at that position for about three days. You know, we get somebody else, we train them in three shifts, they're ready to go because of the systems we have in place. Um, and it's because of the systems you taught us. So um, so that that could be a con because you're in a constant state of training, but if you're ready for it, you're ready for it. So let me ask you one more question when it comes to, could be a con, it might not be. I don't know, that's why I'm asking. Can I fire them? Like if they do something egregious, like go against our policies and procedures, or am I contracted and I own this person for the 90 days? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Listen, they, they all come over here and, uh, you know, it's not always hearts and butterflies and u- unicorns and rainbows with the J1s. You know, you do get your your bad apples. You know, there's two reasons that people don't do something, in my opinion, is they don't know or they don't care, right? And if they don't know, it's my fault because it's a training issue. I haven't trained them properly. And if they don't care, then it's my fault because I haven't promoted them to customer, right, at that point. And, uh, and so we have to do that. Sometimes we come over. We had a guy last year came over and, uh, you know, we're open from 4 to 10 p.m. He knew that when he came over, he came over, he worked one shift. He goes, yeah, I really don't want to work past noon. And I said, okay, well, probably not the job for you then because we don't even open until 4 and we hired you as, as, a, as a taco maker. So, um, you know, that happens, but, you know, you can fire them and, you know, they they actually have to report to their their sponsor company if they change jobs. And if they fail fail to do that, 
then they could not be allowed back the following year. They get on a blacklist if they don't do the right thing. So there's a there's a little bit of a pro that comes out of that because they are also very loyal to you and willing to to do things because they know they could jeopardize their future sponsorship coming back over. So if I were looking at this as brand new, we're listening, we've never had J1 workers and we're living this labor shortage. What would you tell somebody? Would you tell them, yes, you need to do it or you need to do it only if you meet these criteria? Is there anything special I've been thinking about trying to decide whether I would pull the trigger and contact one of these companies and bring these temporary workers in? Well, you know, you can use them for two reasons. Obviously, it's a no-brainer if you have a seasonal business that's busy in the summer months. Uh, you, 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 you'd be crazy not to at least explore the opportunity, right? Because we have such ter- high turnover in this, in this industry, and we're also experiencing a labor shortage. Those J-1 students can really insulate that and add depth to your labor pool. Um, if you're not in a seasonal economy and you're experiencing a labor shortage going into the summer, then you can hire the J-1 students as a temporary stopgap, right? You hire them, you know they're gone in 90 days, and then you can really focus on hiring and training good year-round people. And it's not now, it's not an emergency. Now you got 90 days, right? And you can kind of you can kind of play double dutch. As one person hops out, you can have another person hop in that's ready to go, right? Uh, right. I mean, I think that that's incredibly valuable uh, in our industry right now. Is language an issue? Um, sometimes that's a good that's a good point. Uh, you know, there are on their applications that you get to review before you select the students or the students are recommended to you. They have uh, English qualification levels, so you can say. I need a nine English, so somebody that's fluent that could work in your front of the house, or I only need a five English. Um, you know, I speak fluent Spanish. We have a, a Tex-Mex restaurant, so most of my staff is is Latino. So we have a uh, we can always hire the Spanish-speaking students, no problem. And as long as they're not customer-facing, then they can work forty hours a week with ease. So we're at a little bit of a luxury there. But yes, you can you can pre-screen their levels of English before they come over to put them in a certain position. You know, I mean, I think you don't need a, you can hire a Romanian uh, dishwasher that has four English and you could just point and say, wash, thank you, right? And, and you're right. good to go. So, right. because you need a dishwasher and you're willing to work over that language barrier to make it happen, right? Are there any, and, and it's a loaded question and we can decide not to answer it. But are there any countries that are better, like cultural, I, that that really are suited for hospitality more than others uh, versus don't say who's a struggle, but is there anybody, because that's the loaded part, right? Don't hire these mm-hmm. people. Is there is there a country, because I know I had a member in, Ca- in Canada loved uh, anybody came from the Philippines. Just the work ethic was amazing. The culture was amazing. Like it just fit hospitality so well. Do you find any any countries that are are best to draw from? Yeah, and I think it's more of an individual and less of a country specific where you're going to get some bad apples from any country. So what sets other countries apart from uh, from some countries that might be less desirable is really the English, right? Um, The countries that push English are the countries that you want to gravitate to. So, for example, Ireland, right? Ireland's always at the top of the list because they speak English. 
Um, you know, sometimes after a couple of Jamesons, they don't speak English. Well, they're, they're speaking English, but we can't understand it. But, uh, you know, for the most part, when, when, we're, when we're doing a good amount of business, uh, the Irish are great. Uh, another thing with Nepal, for example, you might not think Nepalese, but all their business is done in English in Nepal. So they come over here and most of them have spectacular English. So, uh, so that's, that's a good one as well. Um, you know, and then personally, we go for the, the Latino countries, the Spanish speaking, the Dominicans, the Puerto Ricans. Um, you know, you mentioned Filipinos. Filipinos speak English. All their business is done in English. They have some tribal languages over there, like Tingalo and Ilocano that they speak secondary. But all their all their business is done in English in the Philippines. So I was a military brat, so I know that firsthand. So, um, so, so yeah, so that would be it. Look for the Look for the English-speaking countries if you are going to try and um, and have a preference. I would recommend. That's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing, and and we stayed politically correct. That we did a good job. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. Like again, it's been multiple group coaching calls that the the J one topic has come up, and you become our authority. And I so appreciate especially in the time of a labor shortage that you'd come on and be a resource for our industry, for people who may not understand what a J one is, or even know they existed because often we live in our bubble, our four walls, and that's all we know. So that's tremendous. But before I let you go, is there anything you want to share with people, whether it's about J one or just uh, anything about running their business or in life that you like use as a mantra, anything you want to share? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to give some people some, you know, the, the common question people are going to have after listening to this is, how do I get started, right? Where do I go? So a couple companies that you can Google are United Work and Travel, Inter-Exchange, USA Summer Jobs, Worldwide Cultural Exchange, okay? They, they specialize in different areas in the country. Um, they specialize in, in different um, industries. You know, some people are better with hotel workers. Some people are better with restaurant workers. Some people are better with amusement park workers. So, you know, some some of the people that might be listening to this might have a restaurant and a small water park. Some people might have a and b with a restaurant. So you want to find the J1 sponsor company that matches your business. That's very important. And that's a good first step. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't hurt to look. Knowledge is power, right? Go out there and get the knowledge. See if this is right for you because it can have a tremendous benefit to your business. And then, you know, personally, you know, this this is the hardest, uh, hardest industry, you know, right? Uh, I right. heard you say it many times. So you got to take time out to do to, to live your life and do what you need to do. You know, if uh, you take a night off because you feel that you need to go exercise or there's a jujitsu class you want to do or something like that, do it. You know, nobody will die if you're not at the restaurant on a Tuesday night because you're taking care of yourself. So take care of yourself, guys, please. Amen. Ryan, I want to thank you so much for being on the call today. And, and I look forward to seeing you in just a couple hours on our next group coaching call. Thanks, my friend. Should I keep the suit on? I think so. I think so. <laughs> All right, will do. All right, see you soon. Thanks, brother. Hey, that was an awesome episode. I wanna thank you for taking the time to take action on building a better, more prosperous restaurant. Before you go, I wanna give you these three thoughts. One, by combining leadership and taking action with systems and training being checked by accountability, you are on your way to creating prosperity for you and your restaurant. Two, I have something I need from you. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. By leaving us a review, other restaurant pros seeking out this information are able to find it. 
I read the reviews and hearing how this information has benefited you does wonders for me. And three, if you find any of the discussions helpful, share them. The more restaurant pros who have access to them, the better we become as an industry. For more restaurant resources or to get in contact with me, connect with me at davidscottpeters.com. Be passionate about what you're doing. Be persistent, but more importantly, become better and help everyone around you become better. And your restaurant is going to kick some ass.